we are live from the empire of lies, an oasis of truth, free speech, and open debate in the empire of lies. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. So we're getting ready for a weekend, Rod. How you doing? I'm doing good, Lee. Can't complain. How about yourself? So I'm doing fine. So great show for us today you put together. And exactly what we need in the second hour is the great Mark Kikorian, the leader of the Center for Immigration Studies. Because you know what is all over both the left and the right right now. I would say the story that should be the story isn't the number one story. But the number one story is the governors sending the illegal aliens to Washington and uh, New York and Martha's Vineyard, especially. Do you agree that's what everyone's talking about on the left and right? Yeah, 100% Lee. And uh, I sent you a video about two days ago from a Venezuelan gang member, and he was talking about how, uh, you know, he was saying the people coming behind him are even worse than him, and America will never be the same. Interesting. Now, you know, it should be the number one story. The problem at the boil. Right? Right, exactly. Exactly. Did you see, and I'll talk about this after we do the boom, but I'm going to say, great show. And in the first hour, our friend Addie Adds, who did such a great job covering Ghislaine Maxwell trial, he's covering election shenanigans going on. We talked a lot about libertarians yesterday. Well, in New York, they're trying to keep the libertarian off the ballot. And really, they're shutting down any third parties. And we'll talk to you, Addy, about that. And we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. Rod, please do the boom. You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. And you want to throw him with the best producer on the radio, didn't you? <sighs> thank you, Lee. Thank you. Thank you for that. So, so did you see the footage of Ted Cruz in Del Rio, Texas. Ted's wearing the, uh, he's wearing the aviators, like shiny sunglasses. And he's, you know, he's looking casual. He's not in a suit. He looks tired and sweaty. But there's a tableau behind him of 10,000 illegal immigrants at the border across the river. You saw that footage, right? Yeah, Lee. The the media doesn't want to cover it. They're they're all in Martha's Vineyard and with all these uh, liberal elites over there, but they don't want to go to the border and show you the travesty that's going on of the invasion that's happening at the border. Well, it's worse than you, you're right, but it's worse than that even. And I'm going to give an example. So if you're watching on Twitter or someplace that has video, I spent some time last night doing fancy graphics. Uh, adding, getting the graphics back to level we were at before my stroke. And I have this graphic up that's a bunch of, like, computer monitors, right? So I want to put a picture of 10,000 people at the border because it's shocking, right? I mean, seeing that all the people there is shocking. Would you agree? 100% Lee. I mean, it's just... Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how we're going to handle all this uh, in the years, the days, weeks, months, or years to come. But 
uh, we're going to have to get a hold of it somehow. But the Biden, the Biden policies, open borders, you're all welcome. But let me tell you how dangerous the tech censorship is and how how sophisticated it is. So I'm a pretty good Googler. I know how to search for things. By which I mean, I know what search term center, and I know how to, if I'm not getting what I want on the first term, try another one and keep trying until I find the material. So I did search for the image. I figured it'd be easy to find. There's 10,000 people, right? You figured there'd be a picture of it. So I typed in Del Rio, Texas. Not one picture of the 10,000 people. I didn't see in the first, like, 30 pictures. There was, like, downtown and one picture of the river, and there's, like, five people in it. So I kept going. I kept it in Del Rio, Texas, Ted Cruz. I thought that would have it show up. Nope, nothing. A lot of pictures of Ted Cruz, but nothing of Ted Cruz in front of that crowd. So I forget what I did, but I had to type in like three things. So do you understand what I mean by sophisticated? They're hiding any pictures. And I'm sure, you know, a few months ago, they made it illegal to fly drones near there. Because a drone would be a great way. Those camera drones, which are now like a good DJ, DJ Mavic Mini is like 400 bucks. And uh, a drone would be a great way to show the size of the crowd, don't you think? Yeah, for sure, Lee. You, you, you are, um, you're well-versed in, in flying drones, excuse me. Um, and I think their, uh, their reasoning was that it would, it would affect planes or in the helicopters and all this, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't equate for the height of a drone in a helicopter and a plane. Right, and, and it's a lie. It's, they're lying. The reason they don't want it it's because they don't want the pictures. Agreed? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, anybody with a rational mind knows that. And the drones, they don't need to get up that high. A couple hundred feet would be plenty to get a good picture. And you could fly the drone over people, and they're safe. They don't want the pictures. This is sophisticated censorship. This is a sophisticated propaganda program. I eventually, I found it. But it took a while. And anybody casually searching who was not a patient Googler would not have found a picture. And I believe it's a deliberate cover-up. Now, we don't have it today, but did you see Josh Howley, the senator, questioning a guy from Facebook? Yeah, um, I saw that. And also uh, a, a woman from uh, TikTok, uh, I forget what a woman is sometimes, uh, from TikTok, and uh, he was asking about uh, if, if they're, uh, they have employees in China, and he was asking if they were part of the CCP, and she didn't want to answer. Now, you know, he made a good point. He was, he was interviewing this guy, executive from Facebook, and he asked him, is Facebook see its job as skirting First Amendment, shutting down protected speech for the government? And he said, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And he pointed out, now, I'm not going to get into a debate about the COVID-19 pandemic. However, let me say, people having an opinion on the vaccines, whether they're good or bad, for instance, 
is that constitutionally protected speech? Forget whether it's right or wrong. There's no constitutional protection that you can't say something wrong. Does that make sense? Uh, 100%ly, we should be able to debate vaccines. Um, and I don't know if you've seen on Twitter, but uh, people are also debating vaccines for pets because uh, uh, a lot of pets have died after receiving vaccines. So that's another debate. And I actually saw a report that found that the vaccine was more dangerous than COVID, which is what people were banned for saying. But let me point out that is Facebook has a right to shut down speech, kind of. However, Facebook, at the behest of the government, the government using Facebook to shut down speech, that's constitutionally perspective protected, forgive me. And and that's the point. The COVID-19 info, the stuff everyone was debating back and forth, that was constitutionally protected. The government had no business at all getting involved, yet they used Facebook to shut down free speech. And we'll have a clip, the entire thing for Monday, I think, right? Do you think we can get it for Monday? Yeah, 100%. I think people should hear it, the whole thing. It, Josh Hawley's kind of boring, but in not a way that's bad. He's like a boring lawyer. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think he thinks he's uh, I think he thinks he's going to go viral by the way he goes, he talks. But you said, like, yeah, he is a very uh, boring, a boring uh, attorney. But I don't mind that. I, I don't mind that he wasn't bombastic. The words he was saying were right. Now, the other big news going on is in Ukraine. This morning, whatever was in Ukraine time, this afternoon, there were two strikes on civilians that killed officials, the prosecutor general of Lugansk. And apparently it was not the missile strike. They did the missile strike on a town square in Kherson, and on a public building. But they also apparently lit off bombs against the prosecutor general, and they killed two public officials. You heard about that, right, Rod? Yeah, I did hear about that when I woke up. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, it's a little crazy over there. And also, uh, uh, we haven't talked about it, but those um, those pedal mines that have been— uh, yeah. Blowing off people's blowing off people's limbs. It's not made to kill people. It's just to uh, pretty much just uh, debilitate 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 them. And you know, it's it's which is kind of even worse to you for you to let you know if you walk on something and then your legs are blown off. You know, uh, you might want to die after that. You want to you know, some people might want to feel like dying after that. Now speaking of censorship, and I want you to understand how the censorship works. Not you, Rod, but everybody listening. I think you understand it by now. Uh, the Pope made some statements about Ukraine. Did you see that reported? No, I did not. So the Pope said the Russian Federation had a right to get involved militarily with Ukraine because he said, and he's right, it was done out of love, protecting people. That's why Russia did it. So think about that. The Pope has now said Russia was justified in going into Ukraine. He went on to say two things. He went on to say that supplying weapons to Ukraine 
may be immoral if it's done for the wrong reason. If supplying weapons is done to protect people, then it's moral. But if it's done to keep a war going, it's not moral. Now, that's a pretty balanced statement. Whatever opinions you may have of the Pope. And, uh, but do you think that's a pretty, pretty good statement? Yeah, that is, Lee. But um, my problem with the Pope is that he'll say something like that and then, you know, it doesn't get covered much. But then the, he'll say something else to the mainstream media about how uh, he disapproves of what Russia's doing. And they'll pick that up. So I didn't hear, like I said, I didn't know that he said this. But then you'll see maybe a day or two later, he'll, he'll, he'll come out against Russia. And then the mainstream media put that all blasted well, out everywhere. He's going to get severe pressure. But I think that statement stands. And the way they're reporting it, here's what they did. Ukrainian media said, Pope says giving arms to Ukraine is justified. True, kind of. That's half of it. This is why in court they urge you to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the mainstream media is picking up on, Pope says giving weapons to Ukraine is moral. But they leave out the part that he also said under what circumstances he considers it immoral. So be aware of and look for the whole statement they made. Anybody looking into this, this is how propaganda works. Does that make sense? That They don't outright lie about him. And then the, there's going to be the pressure campaign because you're not supposed to say anything positive about Russia. But he's out there saying what he said. So if he changes his statements, okay, that'll be telling. And I don't have any doubt, but right now, I read the entire statement, and he said both things. So you see what I'm saying? They they trick you with half the truth. Does that make sense, Ron? Yeah, 100%. And let's go with the Soros clip. Let's play one of the clips we didn't get to yesterday. Here's George Soros major Hillary Clinton and Democratic Party funder who also funded every NGO in Ukraine talking about the role he played in the new Ukraine and therefore the war. Hit it. Let's hear Soros. Uh, particularly because uh, uh, my main involvement actually in the Ukraine where there is a new Ukraine which is uh, 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 eager to be part of the European Union and uh, or to be a European democratic country uh, and uh, actually uh, the, the people involved almost every one of them had been somehow uh, in contact with the foundation so it's the, the, the both inside government and civil society it's all people who I meet and they tell me that, that uh, somebody uh, somehow they are connected and that is very gratifying so t t 25 years of work has really uh, paid off it's not paid off for the people of Ukraine, though. It's paid off for Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, the big guy. Would you agree it paid off for them pretty well, Rod? Yeah, very well, Lee. Very well. The big guy got his 10% or more. And uh, so, yeah, very well for those guys. 
Now, also, 25 years, and what was his focus in Ukraine? He, was, he had one major issue he was working on, he says. This is according to him. Corruption, right? How's he done? Yeah. What kind of report card? When you've been doing something for 25 years and you spent billions of dollars fighting corruption, and everybody, is there anybody who de- denies that Ukraine is one of the most corrupt countries on the face of the earth? Uh, besides the American mainstream media, um, I don't think so. But yeah, I think he gets an F plus on well, corruption. Well, actually, I, I, do you see the main, uh, l- let me, let me bicker for one second. Have you seen the mainstream media actually outright deny it, or did they just stop talking about it? Oh, that's what I'm talking about. They just don't want to address it at all. So they that, they make it seem like Ukraine's this uh, great country with you know uh, no you know where corruption doesn't exist and Russia just wants to destroy it. And we talked about the the acts that they committed today, killing prosecutor general with bombs. Did you see Putin's statement on that? No, I missed Putin's statement on it. So Vladimir Putin made a statement. I'm not directly quoting him, but it's a paraphrase, and it's pretty close. Because, you know, I don't want to misquote Putin. Does that make sense? So, because he says good stuff. So he said, these terrorist acts happen. And he said, we respond with restraint, but only for so long. So he's putting Ukraine on notice that Russia will answer these attacks. And it remains to be seen how he answers. It could just be a military response within the special military operation. He could declare Ukraine a terrorist state. And would that be justified from what you're hearing, Ron? Oh, yeah, 100% Lee. And, and I keep hearing from uh, officials in Russia that, you know, America is getting closer and closer to being uh, considered a, a, a active partner in this in, in Ukraine. So I don't know what that would mean as far as Russia's response or what they're going to how they're going to respond to that. But uh, that's dangerous well, for us. It, it should be. And like I say, the, the footage of Americans in Ukraine is now, you've seen a lot of it, right, Rod? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like you, like you were saying the other, uh, with Mark Sloboda, it's some guys, some Southern guys who are, you know, laughing about being in Ukraine and killing, you know, Russian soldiers. So, yeah, it, it's, you know, these, these mercenaries are over there having a good old time. Because Mark hasn't seen that guy. You saw that guy, right? He's like someone from the movie Deliverance, if any of you people who are older than millennials get the reference. But you saw him. He was out there. All right, boys, where are we at now? Tell me where we're at. Right? And then they all yelled right where they were. I said, let's look at some Soviet stuff. Here's some Soviet stuff. And it was like a Soviet-era statue or something. You saw that footage, right? Yeah, I'm in uh, one of the telegrams with uh, a lot of the journalists who go to Ukraine, have been to Ukraine and covered it. So that, yeah, that was circulating. A lot of people, you know, uh, questioning why, you know, the American media doesn't want to touch this stuff. And and it, admit it, I'm sort of close on the accent, aren't I, Rod? Yeah, he sounds like Yosemite Sam, 100%. Yeah, and even with my stroke, and by the way, speaking of stroke, let's talk about John Fetterwoman. First off, you know what I'm talking about there, right? <laughs> yeah, he came out with a shirt, a pink shirt, and he said, uh, you know, uh, all women who support John Fetterman are Fetterwomen, Fetterwoman. <laughs> right. And that was embarrassing. 
as Ian Miles Strong said, cringe. And he's right. It was cringeworthy. Do you agree, Rod? Yeah, everything about that guy is 100% cringe, you know, uh, and then and the media do not want to touch Lee. And I don't know if uh, you've read up on the story where he chased, there was a black man jogging in his neighborhood and he chased him with a shotgun because he thought he was a criminal. They don't want to bring that story up. Interesting. Well, you know, I've said I don't like making fun of him because he's got he's had a stroke and I'm certainly having had a stroke myself. I am, uh, you know, very empathetic with him. But did you see? But he's out of. I'm sorry. He's not recovered. I, I've had a stroke and I don't think I often and not when it counts. If I was doing political speech, have you seen? I, I don't think he's recovered fully. Do you think he has, Rod? Oh, no, 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 no. 100% this guy's, uh, you know, a lot of people are questioning, um, you know, not make fun of his stroke, but how are you going to be able to serve us uh, with your health? And um, he released some kind of cognitive test, but, you know, unless you're a, uh, a neuro, in some in type of neurosurgeon or in neurology, how do you even know how to read it? So, you know, the media is going to get, obviously, a biased doctor to come on. Oh, no, he's 100% fine. The guy's always... He takes long breaks in between what he's trying to think and say, and he mixes up things. Again, I'm not trying to make fun of him, but it's just he doesn't seem like he's going to be able to do his job. It seems like he needs more therapy or something, because, again, I've had a stroke and uh, it affected my speech. So I'm empathetic. But I don't think I do what that dude does. He made me feel better about myself. Am I now? Give it to me straight, Rod. Am I better, John Fetterman? Oh, of course, Lee. He mixes up things. Uh, he'll, he'll say something like, uh, abortion is the ballot. <laughs> I know he's trying to say abortion is on the ballot, but, you know, just, just certain things like that. And then he'll mix up uh, what he's talking about uh, as far as uh, who's the president. And he, I think he's even mixed up what he said, who, what he was running for. I think he was saying he was running for uh, president at one time. So, you know, he's just really out there and the media don't want to give it the proper coverage and ask him the right questions. And people would be sympathetic, I think, if he was if he was having speech problems. And you, you know, I often correct myself when I hear myself saying something wrong. I hear myself saying something wrong. See, I lost the R at the end. I can hear it at least. And when I correct it, I think people are sympathetic, and they would be sympathetic to Fetterman too. However, or Fetterwoman. However, he's ducking from it. Does that make sense? And so he's giving all stroke victims a bad name. And I'll tell you who else gives all people with one eye a bad name is Dan Crenshaw from Texas, the neocon, Patch McCain. You know, I'm blind in one eye. I'm blind in my right eye from childhood. And I wore a patch for a small period of time. But generally, I don't wear a patch because I think it looks kind of ridiculous. As they made a joke about Dan Crenshaw, he looks like a spy from a porno film. <laughs> that was a Saturday Night Live joke, and I thought it was very good. But he was attacked by this guy. By attacked, I mean talked to outside Congress by this guy, uh, I think Alex Stein. Alex, Alex Stein, Prime yeah. 99. You saw that, right? 
He went after. Yeah, I've been trying April. to get him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Alex would be fun. So anyway, we got to go to calls. 202-521-1320. What's that? Okay. We're out of time. Owl Killer will call back. But let me. And we got Addy. So we'll take a short break. And we'll hear how people are messing with third parties in New York State. And also about Stacey Abrams and Herschel Walker. Now, this is a joke, Rod. So I don't want anyone to be confused. So next, radio phone talk. Addy adds. See what I did there, Rod? There you go, Lee. Made fun of family, kind of. And we'll be back after this short break on The Backstory. We are back on the back, Troy, and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joining us now, great friend of the show, intrepid young reporter, Addy Az. Hey, Addy, how you doing? Hey, Lee, thanks for having me on. It's great great to be on the show, as always. Great to talk to you again. Now, before we talk some of these, about some of the stories you've been covering, I want to ask you a general question. You, you, you are intrepid young reporter, and, of course, you, you just... Such a great job of covering the Gisseline Maxwell trial, being out there outside the courtroom like every day of that trial, right? Yeah, thank you, Lee. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I did write a book about it, too, if people want to uh, read about that experience. Feel free to pimp your book. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on Amazon, uh, Addy Ads on Amazon, A-D-D-Y, uh, A-D-D-S. And, and that book really just goes through my, my day-to-day experience covering the trial uh so about a month in total and and so let me ask you this how long have you been doing journalism yeah uh a couple couple years now uh lee yeah uh two years uh i'd say like three three years full-time i would say give or give or take um kind of started out as a podcast so it's kind of hard to say when it exactly started um so so my point is Oh, and, and had you, did you have any journalistic experience before you started doing the work you're doing? Not really, no. It's, um, I think it's kind of weird. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's helped out uh, quite a bit. I, I think, um, you know, having traveled a bit uh, has helped, in, I think, in ways, you know, seeing different perspectives uh, in terms of writing and reading uh, journalism. But yeah, it was kind of an accident. Yeah, yeah, not not planned. So I view this as a unique opportunity to talk to journalists at the start of their career. You, you understand what I'm saying? It, it, at a point, and having done it three years, you have some experience. And I'm curious what you learned in three years. What surprised you? Because you you're still been doing it a short enough time you can remember that. If we talk to you ten years from now. It'll be harder for you to remember what you went into this with for expectations. So I'm very curious mm. about what you've learned about journalism in three years. And has it been a depressing, disappointing experience? And what have you liked? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I guess, you know, what would have liked 
the most about it for sure has been uh, the experiences that I've uh, been able to to have uh, doing the work, you know, asking people questions, meeting people, meeting other journalists has been one of the parts as well, learning from them and uh, how they got to, to covering what they were covering. Why did it, it change? Uh, you know, why did they change topics uh, and so on? But I learned that there's not much money in journalism. It's lost some 80% of its revenue over the past uh, 15 or 20 years or so. Uh, and, and that's partially why you see, you know, I've mentioned before outlets like the Guardian, mainstream outlets, you know, asking for donations or, or charging. And, and really it's, you know, the, the decline of the, the physical newspaper that's played a, a role in that. Uh, and the Internet, the rise of the Internet uh, globally, I think, is another one, too. Uh, but I think a truly great journalist is quite rare, uh, quite rare. Uh, I learned that, uh, courage is, is also rare. Um, I thought courage was a little bit more yes. commonplace, um, than when I started. That was, that was a surprise for me. I think, um, uh, something I learned, um, it, it's, so, so do you, doesn't do you agree with me, yeah. Addy, that I think people who aren't journalists, who are readers, the audience sometimes think, ideological factors are more of a factor. I think the biggest factor for bad journalism is simple. They're lazy. Laziness. I, I find mm -hmm. they're, yes, they're ideologically biased. That's true. But they're so lazy. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I have. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite astounding. Well, you know, you mentioned the, the Maxwell trial going there and realizing I, I knew more than pretty much everyone there, uh, you know, and um, there was stuff I didn't know, of course. But, uh, yeah, it was qu quite surpri surprising, especially with some really big outlets. You know, you'd think they would have someone a little bit more uh, experienced on, on such a case or such a story. Um, but, yeah, I, I found that to be the case, too. Um, yeah, not very inspired. I don't know. It's, it's quite quite baffling to me. Well, I was telling my girlfriend the story of when I was in Baton Rouge covering the the Black Lives Matter riots down there. And I was at a bar, at an oyster bar, having oysters. And I was sitting next to three reporters from Canada. And as I was there in Baton Rouge, uh, a TV alert came in that there was a shooting in Dallas at Black Lives Matter parade. So we're all watching it. And then it, it broke, broke, it was breaking news. So what happened is the thing that often happens. They'll say, there's one death. And then 10 minutes later, they said, we now report there's two dead. You follow me? Does it make sense? Then mm -hmm. a little later, they said, now we report that there's three dead. And when they hit four dead, the reporters next to me threw down their napkins and they said, we're going to have to cover this now. Damn it. Damn it. We're going to have to cover this. We're just trying to have our oysters. So they yeah. thought they were going to have a nice night. And I, I was thinking, I wish I were there. But yeah. does, that, does, that, does that surprise you from what you've seen about journalists, that they're more interested in finishing the oysters than covering breaking news and tragedy? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you, you might be honest something there. Um yeah, Lee. Yeah, it's very much, you know, I don't know what it is. Like, yeah, I've heard Emerald Robinson describe it in that there's, you know, people who just want to get paid 
um, and, and people who are incompetent. Uh, but then, you know, there are people who are just lazy, and I think there's definitely a crossover there. But I, if I recall correctly, and when I interviewed her, she said there's really only about 10% of journalists that are, are trying to do great work and are about the truth, really, um, more than, you know, like you said, a narrative or an ideology or a, some sort of political party. Oh, that's right, because they know the narrative. If you're at the New York Times, you know if you turn in a story that says, you know, Vladimir Putin's right, Ukraine's wrong, in any way, it's going to be rejected, right? You can't, if you say, well, we, we have the facts, it's true. Your editor's not going to go, oh, thanks, we'll run that then. Mm-hmm. So, and let's turn to the story you've been covering in New York in the gubernatorial race. And this is a perfect example. I looked at this up to do show prep because I knew we were going to talk about it. And do you know what? I can hardly find any freaking stories about it. Googling New York libertarian governor, I couldn't find any stories, really. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it's a major story. And the libertarian party's filed suit. So why don't you tell us What's going on in New York and Larry Sharp running for governor as a libertarian? But the Republicans and the Democrats are trying to shut down third parties, right? Yes, that's that seems to be what's going on, Lee, is is the two uh, old established parties, Democrats and Republicans, uh, are trying to squeeze out any third parties, not just the libertarians uh, in the state of New York, uh, which is. Uh, I agree. It was a pretty, pretty big story. And um, I didn't know he was going to re- reveal that information in my, when I interviewed him. Um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty cool um, to, to interview Larry Sharp. Um, and something that caught my eye too, actually, earlier today, um, this is from one Josh Eagle, who's on the board for a, uh, a caucus. Uh, anyways, the, the, the idea is uh, the stipulation in Tennessee, where he says that running for office as a Republican or a Democrat requires just 25 signatures in Tennessee. Running as any other party requires 56,082 signatures. He says this is what happens when you let the duopoly write your ballot access law. So another uh, example of that uh, except in, in the state of Tennessee as opposed to New York. But I agree, Lee. I think it was a pretty big uh, piece of news there. But uh, again, that guy's from the classical liberal caucus who made that uh, commentary. And and also, this is something Cuomo did, right? The, changing the, they changed the law in New York under Cuomo. He called it a reform. But I don't think New York had a problem of too many third parties running. The only people who saw it as a problem are the Democrats and Republicans. But it used to be uh, that you need 15,000 signatures to run in New York. Is that right, Addy? I actually want to follow up on that, Lee. I don't know the the legislation in New York uh, yet. Uh, I do want to figure that out, though, because, uh, yeah, I, I want to keep covering this. And, you know, it's only going to get crazier as we were the countdowns, you know, getting closer and closer to to midterm election day here. I think we're uh, under under two months now. So so, so my understanding is it was 15,000 signatures and or 
if you got a certain percentage of the vote in the last election, right, you could mm. automatically get ballot access. And Cuomo changed the laws. And Larry Sharp got 42,000, 43,000. And they also shortened the time you had to get signatures. So they basically mm. changed the law to make it impossible. And it worked. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and uh, that, there was a candidate is, uh, much more wealthy than Sharp, too, who who also, I mean, nobody, he was like a multimillionaire and he wasn't able to reach the threshold, the new threshold, um, that is. Um, so, yeah, they, they effectively um, made it impossible. Yeah. Now, now, what did you learn interviewing Larry Sharp? What struck you? Does he struck you as a, a real candidate? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he he ran in 2018 as well. He was on the ballot uh, uh, then, uh, and again, he informed me, like I think right away in the inter- at the start of the interview, that he no longer is on this year's ballot. But uh, likewise, he ran for uh, for governor of New York for the Libertarian Party in 2018. Uh, he was a nominee, I think, for for vice president of uh, vice presidential. Uh, candidacy, uh, but he he narrowly lost uh, that. I think he he just got in second by a few votes, uh, and that's for the the entire Libertarian Party uh, nationally. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's he's from New York, uh, uh, you know, born born there, and 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 yeah, he's he made a good point too. I think with regards to New York, and that it is the the front line uh, in the sense that it's the front line for tyranny. Uh, where you know they, it's kind of like the the Australia of of uh, the United States. If we're talking about international politics a little bit, or just the West, shall we say? Um, in that sense, it's like a testing ground for tyranny. Um, so I, I thought, you know, and, and coming here too, I, I actually I'm in California right now visiting family, and I I got to interview a local a district candidate for uh, for LA County, uh, and just hearing about the resurgence people who do want to fight in the Republican party, uh, as well as, is, uh, it's pretty interesting, especially when you, you know, you think California and New York are, are lost. Um, but you know, maybe, maybe not. I mean, we'll, we'll see. And, uh, it's going to be an interesting, uh, six or seven weeks here. And what, what I was asking about Larry was, you know, some libertarian candidates are kind of goofy. So Larry's not a guy who wasn't, wasn't wearing a boot on his head or anything. No, 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 no. He was, he was pretty, yeah, pretty sober saying guy. Uh, you know, he seemed to know what he was talking about, uh, you know, certainly has political experience running as, as a third party candidate. And, uh, the fact that he's uh, not giving up on his state, I think is, uh, is admirable because, you know, many people have just left uh, New York and, and left California and other States to go, uh, somewhere else, you know? So, uh, I, I, you know, both sentiments, I think resonate with me, you know, standing and trying to fight. Uh, to get your state back as well as, you know, trying to find a new home. So I think it just depends on, on the person. And I think the important thing is, uh, even though he's, you know, realistically, he's not going to win. But I like the person being in there and putting out ideas and policies that may get picked up by one of the other candidates. Does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Contributing, you know, it's the idea, the idea sphere for sure, uh, I think is, is influence. Uh, even if, like you said, you know, he's not going to win almost certainly. Now, I, last time I think we talked to you, you were in Georgia. What's going on with the race there between Stacey Abrams and Herschel Walker? How's that looking? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, Walker in the senatorial race is uh, going against Raphael Warnock, and Stacey Abrams in the gubernatorial race is going against uh, Brian Kemp, who is the incumbent. And it, it's pretty interesting. Even Will Ferrell, uh, who you tend to think is apolitical, has opined on the Georgia governor race, the gubernatorial race. Uh, and uh, basically came out with a short anti uh, Brian Kemp video. Uh, I can't remember. He just made like a really childish insult against Brian Kemp. Uh, so it really goes to show you the deep deep states going. Uh, they're going deep into their their bench and, and into their uh, their Hall of Fame pockets here uh, in this proxy war in Georgia. Uh, but uh, again, both. Uh, by far the most well-funded candidates nationwide, worldwide indeed, uh, Stacey Abrams and uh, Raphael Warnock. Uh, and the Libertarian Party, speaking of them, uh, has also seen a resurgence in Georgia uh, because unlike New York, they do have candidates on the ballot. Uh, and they have one Chase Oliver in the senatorial race who uh, has been picking up a bit of steam uh, on on the Twitter sphere and the social media sphere because of the fact that Walker and Warnock finally agreed to a debate on October 14th. And Oliver, rightly so, in my opinion, wants in as he's on the ballot. Uh, he's asserted that he uh, should be in the debate as well. So uh, kind of a resurgence or, or, or a, a surge of uh, libert libertarians, uh, uh, you know, in the uh, uh, in the conversational uh, status quo for, for Georgia as well. Uh, but again, the difference there is they are indeed actually on the ballot there, which is good good for them. And, and I think for good for Americans. And Bill Will Ferrell, here's some inside scoop for you. I was actually at an Obama victory party shortly after. This is back when I was writing for HuffPost. And I was there with Will Ferrell because the his writing partner, the guy who co-wrote Talladega Nights, and the Anchorman films is Adam McKay. Adam McKay is very political. He's a great comedian and writer director. And I think they do good films, but Adam's very political. So that's probably where, where Will gets it from. So he could be more of a factor, but it tells you when they pull out the slaughtered guns, they're, do you think they're worried do, do you think Stacey Abrams is a good candidate? No, no, not at all. Um, not at all, Lee. I think she's a cutout. I, I think Warnock's a cutout, too. Um, yeah, I mean, she checks all the boxes for, for the politically correct candidate. Uh, she's black. She's a woman. Uh, she's overweight. Uh, she's actually from Madison, Wisconsin, originally. Uh, but... No, I don't think she's a good candidate, and I think that's why people are, are deciding to vote for Ryan Kemp uh, instead of, you know, that's partly why the, the GOP in Georgia wants everybody to get along is because they're scared that Abrams is going to win. They're scared that uh, uh, win, uh, B. Win is going to oust Raffensperger uh, as Secretary of State. Uh, it's really crazy when that's the state of, the state of things is you want someone like Raffensperger to stay in office just because you don't want the other guys to get in. Again, I think just pointing back to that need for a third party, a strong third, third parties, uh, choices, you know, for, uh, for these, uh, for these elections. But yeah, no, I don't think Abrams is a good, uh, a good candidate uh, at all. Now, 
Eddie, some advice if you want to be PC, and I, I know you do. Refer to Stacey Abrams not as overweight, but as thick. Does that make sense? <laughs> right, right, thick. Yes, indeed. How do you spell thick? I forgot. Well, Is it with two C's or a CK? You, you sp- okay. spell how you e- either want. Way. Yeah. She's yeah. a Republican that spelled with three K's because I like doing that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, they, they like racializing everything nowadays. Now, uh, let me ask you about Gisley Maxwell trial. You follow the news somewhat. Yeah. Have you heard that Queen Elizabeth passed away? Yes, yes, yeah, indeed. Okay. Yep. So, so you're on top of the news, Addy. Good job. Now, did you notice the the young dude who was pulled away by the cops in London for yelling at Prince Andrew? Oh, I was that the guy with his shirt off, or he's it was like flexing, or no? Th- th- this guy was wearing like an England shirt, but he was yelling okay. at Prince Andrew, walking the funeral procession, and he was saying you're you're disgusting and yelling at him, and the police shut him down. But if anyone deserves to be yelled at in the royal family, I and I mean, you can disagree with anybody, but. Yelled at because they are disgusting. Would you agree it's Prince Andrew? Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and then I'm not surprised at all that guy got, uh, well, I don't know if he got arrested, but he obviously got, you know, shooed away by police, um, so to speak. So that's unsurprising. But, uh, yeah, I think it's it's tough. There's so many of them. But, yeah, Andrew's, it's tough to be him in terms of the, the unpopularity contest. Well, and... and- but but you covered the Gisline Maxwell trial. Do you have any doubt, even if you have one percent, tell us, because I'm curious, that Prince Andrew did the bad stuff. For instance, that picture of Prince Andrew with Virginia Jufree and Ghislaine Maxwell. Do you think there's any doubt that Prince Andrew was up to shenanigans with Jeff Epstein at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't have doubts that he, you know, was was taking advantage of Epstein's uh, his services, his prostitution services, shall we say, is um, his trafficking services, really. Um, yeah. That being said, I, I don't think um, I don't think Andrew, you know, was into like, you know, really, really young children. I think it was more so like teenagers like it seemed to be like 15 16 uh was what he you know the age he liked him uh but uh again well, there's may, am I maybe right stuff in we don't that, know that most of the people involved with epstein even the accusations are that it's more pederasty than children although the one fashion designer guy i i think there were some accusations there but most of epstein was with teenagers correct yeah, yeah, that's that's my uh, my understanding. Although uh, Nick Bryant told me that he had a source told him that that Epstein trafficked, I believe it was an eleven year old or a ten year old. Uh, but uh, again, that's an anonymous source. But I, I trust Nick Bryant. Uh, pretty, you know, I, I, he is a, a I have high trust in his his work and his sources. He's the guy who broke the Franklin scandal again. But um. Uh, yeah, generally speaking, uh, that was, I think, an exception. It seemed to be 
14 and, and up. Yeah, yeah. And also, a lot of them seem to be uh, from poor neighborhoods. They were people, because he was paying them, uh, but he found people who, who needed the money, correct? Yeah, yeah. You know, poor poor white girls, uh, you know, dainty, usually, you know, pretty thin thin girls. Uh, that, that was what he was, you know, into, so to speak. So, uh, but yeah, always poor. Never, never went to the rich neighborhoods, uh, often from, you know, kind of broken families and such. But uh, she actually got moved, Maxwell did, I believe, to somewhere in Florida uh, to a, you know, a pretty, pretty cushy uh, women's prison down there. So I think they're kind of hoping everybody forgets about it at, at this point. No, it's, it seems to me that way to me. And the reason I brought up the Andrew story is when the media was reporting that he'd been yelled at, they were saying allegedly, and he he reached a deal with Virginia Jew Free, so mm. he paid. For it. So that was settled with a, a settlement. Now another person who was involved in that was a scandal was Epstein's lawyer Alan Dershowitz, and have you seen what Alan Dershowitz is currently up to? Yeah, are you were uh, you talking about the election stuff? I actually don't know what Dershowitz has been up to recently. Perhaps you can fill me in, Lee. Well, well, the my pillow guy, Michael Lindell, was arrested at Hardee's in Minnesota. For, forgive me, I misspoke. Not arrested. He was surrounded, and they took his phone. You heard about that? The my pillow guy, the FBI took yeah. his phone, right? So yeah, yeah. Mike I think Lindell, he was in Mankato. Right, and Mike Lindell has apparently obtain the services of Alan Dershowitz to go after the FBI on that. So Dershowitz is working for the MyPillow guy in that case. And I think it's a very important case. And I have mixed feelings about it because I don't like Dershowitz personally. And I think he was involved, you know, Mm -hmm. with what Epstein is doing. But on the other hand, I can't deny the guy's a good lawyer. So do you, do you see my mixed feelings on that? Yeah, uh, yeah, I do, Lee. Uh, it does make me feel uh, uneasy as well. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm not sure if I could assess his his lawyering uh, as well as other people like yourself. Or, or yeah, yeah. I, but yeah, it does make me feel feel uneasy. And I, I think I saw him involved in some regard with the Arizona election uh, audit uh, legal uh, legal stuff that's going on there. Uh, which also was were like, wow, this guy just pops up everywhere. Uh, it seems like Dershowitz and Barr. <laughs> well, and, and part of his problem is that he was a Hillary supporter, but even coming out as tepidly as he did for Trump, which was tepid, he, he always would go on and say, I'm not a Trump supporter, but this is illegal or whatever. It's really hurt mm-hmm. his career. No one wants to hire him. And isn't it interesting that the thing that hurts career is not being involved with a convicted pedophile, but is being involved with a Republican? What does that tell you? Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. It's it's truly amazing. Yeah, uh, it's 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 tough to, to comprehend. But he, he does seem to show up uh, again and again um, in these things. But I do like Mike Lindell. I met him once. Uh, so. Uh, I was, you know, disappointed to hear that he has become the focus of the FBI's 
an intimidation scheme with regards to the the whole Trump saga, which is uh, unfolding before our eyes here. No, you know, it's it's ridiculous and it's very frightening. Now, Addy, as someone who watches politics, are you frightened? Did, did Mar-a-Lago raid bother you, for instance? Yes. Yeah, it was deeply, uh, deeply disturbing. Uh, I think for for myself personally, uh, it was not surprising that the FBI was uh, ethically capable of this. Uh, I think it was maybe in hindsight a good thing that it highlighted how corrupt really they are, how politicized they become, uh, how arbitrary their uh, their use uh, and enforcement of the law. Uh, is and the, and the powers and abilities that they have to to do that job. We only have a few seconds left, so I want to make sure you can get this in. Where can people find your your stuff? Yeah, yeah. So you can find me at addyads dot one uh, from my website addyads dot substack dot com. I just released a couple new books, so addyads on Amazon as well. So uh, thanks again for having me on the show, Lee. Great talking, Addy. Enjoy yourself in California, and don't go to homeless camp. Because you won't enjoy yourself. <laughs> Addie Ads, okay. great reporter. Addie Ads, thanks for joining us, Addie. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to move into having Mark Kerkorian for the Center Immigration Studies appear at the bottom of the hour. And we'll talk about how nuts the Democrats are going with Martha's Vineyard being the new home for illegal immigrants. Let's take a break on the backstory. back on a show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. And thanks again to Addy Ads for appearing with us. Great appearance by Addy. It's always nice to talk to him and see what he's up to. Coming up this hour is the great Mark Krikorian, the leader of the Center for Immigration Studies, the anti-illegal immigration think tank the only one in the country that's focused on being against illegal immigration and there's a lot of groups that are for it so it's great we have Mark Gregorian on that's coming up on the backstory so the Democrats are going nuts about this and we talked to Mark the, the, the Democrats are saying this is a stunt the governors are sending. Did you see Biden's press conference on it yesterday? Did you see his statements, Rod? Yeah, he was he was speaking to the Hispanic caucus. Funny enough, and uh, yeah, he said these people need a uh, citizenship. They need a you know they need to get work. They need they, you know the employers need them. Then hire them, right? They're making it easy for you. Did you see that in Washington they dropped some off in front of Kamala Harris's residence? Yeah, and then they suck. They um, sicked the Secret Service on on them to keep them away for as far away from the residents as possible. So uh, the uh, the loving Kamala Harris doesn't uh, want the uh, illegals anywhere near her. And you know, we we talked to Mark Corcoran about this months ago. Remember? 
And I asked him if he thought it was a stunt. Do you remember what Mark said? I think he agreed it was a stunt, but I think he thought it was going to possibly work uh, and uh, and make and obviously it. yeah make the Democrats go crazy. And I think he was right. Right, and it points out their hypocrisy. They're in favor. They they don't care about. I'll put it like this: Greg Abbott's the governor of Texas currently, and you've seen this, Rod. There's like ten thousand people. And did you see what Cruz said? Why there's 10,000 people? No, I didn't see what he said, but I did see the footage of it. So he agreed with me. He didn't know he was, but he agreed with me. Remember I said a few, uh, last week, I think, with one of our guests about immigration. I said, the Democrats say, well, we have to address the root cause. Why people are, they're saying they're, they're poor. And that's why they're coming. And I'm saying, that's one reason, but another reason they're coming is because of border policy. If you announce that we're not going to send people back, it's going to make more people show up. Does that make sense? Yeah, they, they, you know, um, the, the clips weren't working today, but there was another, uh, I think it was Fox interviewed a Venezuelan man. No, actually, he's not Venezuelan. He sounded like he was... Uh, he had an Indian accent, I believe. He had a mask on, so he couldn't really tell. But um, and they were asking him about, like, you know, why did you come here? And he was like, Well, the border's wide open. Why else would I come here? And he's like, So you're not afraid of being deported? And he's like, No, we're not getting deported. We're, you know, everyone's coming in through the border. And the guy kept asking him, like, So the border's wide open? He's like, Yeah, it's wide open. You can just come come across any time. And what they did, and Cruz did a good job. I'm I'm critical of Cruz a lot, but that video was very good. Everything about it was good. I thought he pointed out that there were about a thousand people down there. And then the Biden administration changed policy and said, we're not gonna, we're gonna stop flying people back. And then Cruz, and Cruz was smart. He was, he knew he was speaking on video. He pulled out his cell phone and they said, so what happened is all of the thousand people over there pulled out their cell phones and they called their relatives. And a week later, there's 10,000 people, right? So I think Cruz is exactly right. And that's the way this sort of thing plays out. The Biden policy, there were plenty of people who, who'd like to come to the U.S. and make more money than they could at home. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. Like a lot of people want to do it. But yeah, no, there's a, lot, there's a lot of reasons, Lee. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons a lot of people want to come here. A lot, and, um, I'll say one I know for sure, Lee, and again, I'm first-generation gener American, so I talk to these people who, who come across here. They, you know, they want to come in, uh, they want to be with some women. They, you know, you know, hey, uh, I'm in uh, El Salvador or I'm in Venezuela and, you know, I don't have much money or whatever, but, you know, in America, I can find a way to make up some money and I can get some women over there. No, right. But no, you're right. There's a lot of motivations people have. But the point is, if the policy is bad, it acts as a magnet. It's like, what city was it that made car theft basically legal? They said they weren't going to prosecute. I think it was New York, maybe. Am I right? Or was it Philly? Uh, it's a lot of them. Uh, but Philly's one of them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, carjackings are even last year was exploded. It's up another 30 percent again. Also, no, no insult, Rod, but I didn't know how crappy Pennsylvania was until recently. I, I knew it was Philly, but I didn't. 
but I, I should have known because I covered the area of Pennsylvania around Pittsburgh. A lot of suburbs of Pittsburgh are horrible. And do you know what else I didn't know about? I'm sure you do. If I say to you, Kensington, tell us what Kensington is in Philly. Uh, that's that's my neighborhood. That's where I grew up, Lee. That's where I went to school. Uh, that's where I still go, go back to. Um, Kensington is literally the Walking Dead. Um, I was talking with our you know Command Central yesterday in the chat, and you can go on to a uh, there's an Instagram cha- uh, Instagram page called Kensington Beach. It's a uh, sick play on words because there's no beach, obviously, but you can see the worst things you can imagine. You can see pregnant women shooting up. You can see pregnant women being. Uh, it, you know, engaging with men out, outside in the open on beds. Uh, there's a pool of needles because uh, there's a free needle exchange program, and they have these mailboxes where you're supposed to throw your needles in now all over the city. It is, it's a disaster. It's never been that bad, but, you know, once Krasner came in and, and Kenny, you know, uh, these people have just made uh, with their policies and, uh, you know, can't get arrested for uh, any petty theft you have to it has to be over five hundred dollars so these people go in and steal things from stores and pharmacies pharmacies are closing down everywhere it's just uh total hell for people uh in that area but let me say this rod it could be worse and i think you'll agree it could be camden new jersey right across the water from pennsylvania right would you agree camden's it's a coin flip do people in kensington do you have a rivalry with Camden for worst place in the world? Oh no, no. no. The only thing good in Camden is the uh, aquarium. But if you if you stray away from that area, it can get really bad for you. Like I said, even just across the bridge in Camden, there's, there's gangs. But in Philadelphia, there's not really gangs. So if you go across the bridge, you could walk across the bridge. You could bike, take the train, drive. But uh, yeah, it, it, you're probably right about that. Camden's is probably even worse. So I I really didn't know. How, how bad Pennsylvania on the whole was, because not just the areas around Philly, and I, Camden's essentially around, that's kind of a Philly, not suburb, but sub-ghetto, right? It's part of, you know, it's it's close. Yeah, just east of us, right over the river. Like I said, you could, we could walk right over there, and uh, you're going to want to walk right back because it's there's nothing over there but uh, Rutgers Camden and the uh, aquarium where they have, they do concerts and the, there's another little concert area over there but that's it you're gonna want to walk right back and so I'm thinking that John Fetterman may be the ideal senator for the state is it possible they're gonna uh, get what they deserve uh, hopefully not Lee I think it's the contest of the biggest loser and uh, I'd rather dr. Oz because just Fetterman's just Unbearable. I mean, he is an ideologue. This is a guy. It's a, this is a rich kid. He's grown up rich. I mean, I mean, let's just put this in context. Uh, you know, fifty thousand dollars a year up until he was fifty. He's never had a real job, and then he went into politics. What does you know? And he's got these these stupid tattoos on his arms. And he wears a hoodie, so he makes you think he's like a regular guy. Like, come on. Yeah, it, it's embarrassing. But better woman. Let's let's point that out. Now two zero two five two one thirty twenty. He called back. Owl Killer, welcome back. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead, Owl Killer. Did we help you make your vacation plans? No. I, I, look, I'm from Jersey. I, Camden, it, it rivals Newark uh, back and forth for who's worse. But I, I think Camden, for 
for several years um, before Memphis took over was the uh, murder capital of the United States. Camden is, it, it's so unfortunate. I, I believe there's a bridge there that says we uh, make the steel that the whole world uses. And, you know, that's from like probably the 40s or 50s. And you, you just see the deterioration. You know, they, they have all old brick architecture out there too. So it was a working class, it, it was a upper middle class area. In, until you know they decided to deindustrialize, and and these are these are places you can buy a house for like five thousand bucks, and you shouldn't. I was just looking as as you guys were talking. I was looking fifteen thousand dollars, twenty five thousand dollars homes. So that that just tells you, um, and that's New Jersey. So that you know you you, you go thirty mi- uh, thirty minutes out of the way, you're probably paying four or five, six, seven hundred thousand for a house. So that that just tells you. Uh, what Camden's like, um, and I, I don't think they have a police force. I, I remember they fired or they couldn't afford them, and it, the police were let go about ten years ago. I don't think they were ever um, they ever came back to work. Because can you can you imagine recruiting police officers? What would anyone who who's a police officer want to work in Camden? Why what would you have to pay them to let their wives? Be okay with them working there. Does that make sense? So Jersey pays the best in the entire country, and you're not going to make a lot of money in Camden, but you can get your foot in the door if they still do have a police department. So that's where that's where a lot of officers will go there for a year or two because it's everybody and their mother wants to be a cop in New Jersey. You can't you can't beat the the, the salaries, but then again, it's, the cost of living is very high as well. But um, most cops I know retire, and they you know they'll go to South. Some go to Delaware, mostly South Carolina and Florida. Um, what talking about Fetterman, Lee? To compare your stuff to what he sounds like the the principal from Beavis and Butthead when when he talks, uh, I, it, it's incredible. I, I think Steve Bannon's absolutely right. The guy just looks like a satanic monster. Um, he, there's, there's something that, look, people's eyes tell a lot and there's something about his eyes that he's not all there. He, even when he was younger, he, he just looks really off. If, if they, they made fun of him because he was slurring his words. I've seen people sometimes comment about me and they'll say, are you drunk? And I'm like, no, I had a stroke because, but I understand what they mean. I sometimes sound drunk to me because my words do slur a little bit. It's beyond that with Fetterman. He loses his place mid-sentence. It's a combination of me and Joe Biden. Would you agree? Uh, it's worse. Way, way worse. He, he's like a, a CD that is scratched. It omits words. When he talks, there, there's words that are missing. You know he's missing words. Yes. So it, there, it, that just shows the disdain that they have for the American people. And did you did you see uh, Dr. Oz? Um, T- Tucker was playing a clip of him when he was trying to show inflation. He's like, "Oh, look at how expensive the uh, guacamole is, and look at this kale." I mean, can, could you pick a more unrelatable character for the Republicans? He is the quintessential like su- super rich person that has no connection to. The average person, and there's nothing wrong with being wealthy, but come on, pick somebody that is that can actually have a conversation with you in public. I mean, you know, you know, he probably he won't he won't even shake your hand, and if he does, he's probably got a glove on. He, I can He just gives me very elitist vibes 
And you know, he's an awful candidate. Uh, agreed. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't believe Trump would waste an endorsement on him. Um, well, I, I also wanted to, we were talking about the queen yesterday. You want to talk Nazis, go look at the picture of her. And you know who broke that in 2008 or nine? That was Alex Jones. That, she, that there's pictures of her throwing up a Nazi salute and Newsweek covered it. I, I think in 2015 or 16, they, they admitted it. You can type in uh, Queen Elizabeth Nazi and you see her with a couple of her uh, female rel- relatives as a little girl, put up the Nazi salute. So th- that family is everything that is wrong. They are globalism to the, to the T. And Prince Charles, soon to be King Charles, he is the great, he is the creator of the Great Reset. He's the first person to mention the word. He's, his father, you know, you know what his father said about coming back as a virus, but Prince Charles is all into all these, these green movements and the sustainable development, and he's been behind the scenes for years. You know, he plays the goofy guy dancing around with the sword. Remember when he was in Saudi Arabia? But he is a ruthless man, and he is he is complete, he is behind the new world. He's one of the king. Pardon, you know the pun, but he he's a kingmaker of the new world order. And the the left and- doesn't like the queen because of the Meghan Markle issue. It has nothing to do with elitism. It, it just it's just no. Meghan Markle. That that. Now, Alco, do you, do you agree with me? People on the left need to take some responsibility for the crazy issues they push. And I don't just mean the establishment left. I mean the left. When I, I've been, you know, doing politics for as a reporter for about 15, almost 18 years. Now, when I would discuss it, every time someone would be Every time I would bring up something like illegal immigration years ago, it was people on the left and what they call the real left, people who insulted people that they said weren't the real left. They would argue with me on immigration and on the Green New Deal and everything else. I think leftists have pushed those things that are now part of the New World Order agenda. Do you agree, Alcala? They definitely have. Um, I, you know, you bring up the immigration issue. Mark my words, and I don't, I don't want to say be the guy that's giving them the idea. They're going to charge DeSantis and uh, Abbott with uh, human trafficking. I guarantee it. I guarantee you that the Justice Department, that's how they'll get back at them. They're running that. They're pushing that line. But, they, but I looked it up and very easily found... Do you know who I saw talking about that? Bakari Sellers. Bakari Sellers is a guy you sometimes see on CNN. But I met Bakari Sellers 12 years ago, and I interviewed him at his office when I was covering a Pigford thing. So he was saying that line about how they're human trafficking. But I said, well, was the Biden administration human trafficking when they flew people around the country in the middle of the night? which they clearly did, and Jen Psaki admitted it. You've seen that, right, Al Killer? Of, of, of course. And again, it's not, it's not if it is or it's not. It's that they're in power. They, it, it's, it's just like the insurrection. It doesn't matter. The process is going to be the punishment, whether they're guilty or not. If you charge them in D.C., they'll convict them. But it, even, let's say a, a, a jury is actually honest. 
they will they will drag it and they will they'll end up with millions of dollars in legal fees that that's go the process is going to be the punishment look i i know we know biden is not running the show but the people that are controlling him they are vicious and you know, they're they're really going they're after their political enemies there i've never seen a uh, a more aggressive government in my entire life and that that's what happens when you're you know you you really have nothing to run on the only thing you can do is you know you you seek people to destroy and i i wonder if that last week that the the super offensive that ukraine launched you think that had something to do with the economic numbers they knew that were going to come out this week you notice it took it took a lot of it out, out of the headlines as, as much as they could well yes it, i i don't think it had I think Kherson failed. What they were trying to do in Kherson failed. And there was an opportunity because Russia was drawing down their forces in uh, in uh, Kharkiv. I always say the name wrong. But uh, they were drawing down their forces. So they saw an opportunity and they took advantage of it. Now, again, nothing has changed st- strategically. Overall, Russia's still winning handily, and I think that's going to continue. And we'll see. Putin's warned them. We're, we're acting with restraint now, but not for long. And I think we're going to see uh, aggressive action on the part of Russia, bold action on the part of Russia. Because Putin's already—he's—he's he's, by saying that publicly— He's created an expectation. Does that make sense among the Russian people? Oh, 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 def- oh definitely. Um, you know, I, I don't agree with Mark on everything, um, but yesterday he's right. The, the Russian people are, the, the, the Russian, um, I guess you could say their Pentagon is very, um, they, they don't give much information. You know, they're not out there like John Kirby every day, you know, giving a talk about what's going on. They just act, and then you you see the results. Um, I I don't think that the what happened with um, that what happened last week changes anything for Ukraine. But the optics of it, and I, I've never seen a more I, I've never seen fake news um, be as effective as how the West and Ukraine has um, has used the media. I, it's, if anything, it's probably the best um, fake news uh, agenda or or coverage that I've ever seen in my life on anything. Um, but the problem with it, here's the problem with it. I, I will say, you've heard this phrase describing the war, a grinding war, right? Right. You've heard a lot of people say, this is a grinding war of attrition. So the propaganda war is a grinding war of attrition. And I would say, since Western propaganda is all based on one thing, lying, sometimes blatantly, sometimes subtly, but it's based on lying. It's based on things that aren't true. It's a grinding war. And every day, more and more people see that the West is lying. If you're at this point, you know, anybody who's a Republican who's still supporting Ukraine, you're stupid. What are you, what are you not paying attention to? What are you missing? And I'm seeing people... Speak, again, not say the things that I'd like exactly, not as aggressively as me, because I like Putin. 
and I, I'm not shy about saying it. And Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, and they're not saying they like Putin. They can't go that far. But they're saying we're, it's stupid how much money we're spending on this war. And Tucker's gotten bolder. So I, I'm going to say it's a, the propaganda war is a grinding war of attrition. And because of that, you don't see that. I think they're losing the propaganda war long term, strategically long term. What do you think about that, Alicola? I Again, so that, that is that is the that that's the outlook. It's like, OK, you may win it short term, but then, you know, you're going to lose. It's, it's almost like with the I, I thought this with the Russiagate investigation. That event, you know, people, okay, you can play this out. You can, you know, you can hinder Trump for, you know, you can play this out for his first two or three years he's in office, but eventually you're going to lose the information war because people are going to see it didn't happen. But it, it, they just moved on to another, you know, they just move and attack him on something else. They attack him on COVID. They'll attack him on uh, January 6th. You know, so I'd agree with that, but that's what they do. They're not going to stop lying. But, you know, when we were talking about yesterday, I didn't say this, but I thought of it. In a war of attrition, if someone's trying to get, like, let's say a criminal is trying to get into your apartment, and he advances one foot every day, right? On a daily basis, it's one foot. That's nothing. But after two weeks, he's inside your apartment, 14 feet. He's in your living room. Does that make sense? So what I ask you is, do more. I'm seeing more people know the truth than ever. More people. And it's it's happening slowly, very slowly. But there's more people out there telling the truth than ever. And so that's why I think, Al Keller, go ahead. I, I would agree with that. I just don't think they care. I, I don't think that they care about their public opinion or the, the public uh, perception of them at all. But I don't care that they don't care because I see what's happening. And you do, too. In Holland, in Germany, in Sri Lanka, I'm seeing what's happening. And people are waking up. And Alice Jones has the number one book in the country. And by the way, Al Keller, do you know what's interesting? I went to buy the book last night on Kindle. Because I, that's how I can read. Do you know what what it is not on? The book is not on Audible. Alex Jones's book, The Great Reset, is not an audio book yet. Is that interesting? You think that would be immediate, right? Definitely, and he'd have to read it in his voice too. So, The Great Reset. Oh, yeah. I think people would pay extra for that. To be honest with you. No, and I would too. So I didn't buy the book on Kindle. I, lo- I love you, Alex, but I want the audiobook because they make better deals on Audible books when you buy the Kindle book. And I'm a cheap bastard, Scots Irish. So I'll kill a great call as usual. Thanks for calling back. And we got Mark Corian from the Center for Immigration Studies coming up. So let's take a short break and then we're back with a great Mark Corian talking about immigration madness on the backstory.
here back in the back story and heading to the weekend. I could not imagine a better guest than the next one to talk about how nuts the Democrats are going on the busing or sometimes plane rides that illegal immigrants are taking from the Republican governors around the country. Mark Corrin is the leader of the anti-illegal immigration think tank, really the only one, the great Mark Corrin from the Center for Immigration Studies. Hey, Mark, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, we talked a few weeks ago about the governor's busing illegal immigrants to places like D.C. and New York and now Martha's Vineyard. DeSantis sent people to Martha's Vineyard. And you at the time agreed that was a stunt. But you you said, but I don't know if that matters. And if the point of the stunt, this is not meant to be a fix for immigration problems. I, I think right, that's yeah. obvious. Yeah, you know, it was it, obviously it's a political stunt, like I said, but politics is theater and has a place for stunts. What I didn't expect was that, that the lefties would take the bait the way they did. I thought they'd kind of shrug it off and say, you know, thank you for giving these guys a ride and diversity is our strength, blah, 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 and that would be the end of it. But they have just gone bonkers. I mean, they've talked, you know, I mean, responsible people or, or supposedly responsible people have called this voluntary trip by plane to Martha's Vineyard, which is very nice this time of year, I understand, as something comparable to the Holocaust, for heaven's sake. I mean, it's just, it's demented is the only way I could put it. But, you know, uh, DeSantis and Abbott, I guess, know the way lefties are likely to respond better than I did. I didn't think they'd go this crazy. Well, yeah, and I agree. And obviously, the, the governor's, the point of this, I think, and tell me if you agree, I'm saying this fairly, that the point of this was to show that Democrats are complete hypocrites on the issue of immigration. And because it doesn't affect them, let's see how they act when it affects them. And they have demonstrated completely the hypocrisy of the Democrats. If that was their goal, they've done it. Do you agree, Mark? Yeah, clearly that was part of the goal. There's no question about it. Um, you know, the uh, all of these signs that you see on the lawn in a lot of these liberal neighborhoods. I mean, I've seen some around where I live. You know, it said, in this house, you know, no human being is illegal and love is love and all that whole list of lefty cliches. Well, you know, that only lasts long enough until the illegal immigrants start showing up in your neighborhood. And then it, then they all turn into NIMBYs. You know, no illegals in my backyard. Uh, and in fact, the 50 illegals that uh, DeSantis flew to Martha's Vineyard have already been deported to Cape Cod by the Massachusetts National Guard. So God forbid they might actually end up on uh, on Obama's estate because he's got a waterfront estate on the uh, on uh, Martha's Vineyard. I'm not sure why he didn't put them up. You know, what's, uh, are they humanitarian or not? No, exactly. And I think we have a couple, couple of clips. Let me play those clips and we'll talk about those. Go, go with the first one. We woke up to the news this morning 
that Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida sent two plane loads of migrants uh, to Martha's Vineyard off the coast of Massachusetts, including kids and whatnot. And I'm not saying this is not a one for one. This is not a parallel here in any way. But it does address some of the same themes that are part of this documentary. Now, he's talking about a documentary that CNN apparently aired about immigration. So let's play the second clip because I think it relates. Play that one. We are not a sanctuary state, and it's better to be able to go to a sanctuary jurisdiction. And yes, we will help facilitate that transport for you to be able to go to greener pastures. Biden would fly people in the middle of the night, dump them all across this country. There was no warning on any of this. And all those people in D.C. and New York were beating their chests when Trump was president, saying they were so proud to be sanctuary jurisdictions, saying how bad it was to have a secure border. The minute even a small fraction of what those border towns deal with every day is brought to their front door, they all of a sudden go berserk. And they're so upset that this is happening. And it just shows you, you know, their virtue signaling is a fraud. Okay. And and that was obviously DeSantis talking about that. And again, that was we, we were supposed to play that yesterday. It's gotten worse. The, the amount of you you said, I think people are going nuts. They are going berserk, too. What's been the most interesting thing about this to me is that the press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, is blatantly lying in the she keeps saying, we're handling the border. Have you heard her say that, Mark? Sure. And um, the vice president said the border is secure. I mean, it's they just I don't think, you know, I mean, words don't really seem to mean anything to these people. They're just saying what they think is the right thing to say. And uh, and they are trusting that the uh, compliant media will cover for them. Because that's what we're talking about here. You know, that nobody's calling them to account. And, you know, I got to say, I think part of the reason that the lefties have gone so nuts about this is that um, they don't want immigration to be a topic of discussion. In other words, anytime you're talking about immigration in the broader public, Democrats are losing. And their friends in the media have complied by make, basically making the border issue go away. Well, when a bus drops off a bunch of illegal aliens in front of the vice president's house and 50 illegals show up in Tony uh, Martha's Vineyard, the summer retreat for the rich and famous, the newspapers can't ignore it. They have to report it. And because of that, the lefties have, uh, you know, reacted with this crazed overreaction, and uh, I, I think it's got to hurt them. Now, we talked about the video with Ted Cruz. I, I was, I didn't see this on a headline. I saw this that Ted Cruz released a video, and what's going on in Del Rio? When I saw the footage, is it true? How many people? are you hearing, are down the border in Del Rio now? Um, I don't know about what's happening, you know, now. I mean, it's uh, El Paso, a whole bunch of people are massing under the bridge. Del Rio, there was the, um, you know, the Haitians last year massing all together, all under the bridge, because the Border Patrol couldn't process them. 
But I mean, we're talking this fiscal year, two million illegal alien apprehension. Some of those people are the same people back and forth. But that's unprecedented. It's the highest number we've ever seen. And these little towns on the border have no capacity for dealing with this. I mean, New York is complaining because they got, what was it, 9,000 illegal aliens over a period of one month. It's the nation's largest city. And they're complaining when a place like Del Rio has, you know, gets like 40,000 people in a period of several months, and uh, somehow they're just supposed to suck it up. Have you seen this video with Ted Cruz? No, I have not seen it. It's so, Mark, you got, by the way, that tells you something, that a, a person who's so on top of the immigration issue hasn't seen it. And I, you're, I'm not surprised, Mark, because as I say, I didn't, I had, I found it accidentally. It's Ted Cruz in front of 10,000 people. Ted Cruz said that there's 10,000 people at the border now. And he shows behind him. It's stunning. So, oh, I, 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 think- I found it on, uh, I found it on Twitter now. Yes, uh, it is. He, it looks like he filmed this. So he, he recorded it last year when Del Rio, they're actually were ended up when at the, the peak of that disaster in Del Rio, there were 15,000 people literally camped out in a sort of a shanty town because um, the uh, they were coming over at Biden's invitation, but the Border Patrol couldn't process them fast enough. So they were all backing up there. That was where all so of my that. Mistake, you know, I, thought, I thought that was new, but it was mistaken. Thanks. So do you think that optically... The pure optics of that, that many people at the border, is any rational, reasonable person is going to see that's a big problem. I don't think, you know, I think they don't want people to see those numbers. And like you say, compared to the freak out they're doing over 50 people, if the Democrats had responded by saying, we understand what leaders in Texas are dealing with. And like them, we want to help people or whatever. And we think we're different. But they showed no empathy whatsoever for the leaders. Instead, they attacked DeSantis. And attacking Abbott, I think, is blaming the victim. Do you agree? Mark? Oh, absolutely. It's, of course it's blaming the victim. I mean, it's, uh, you know, they're saying this is inhumane and all of this, where the Biden policy is what's inhumane and in inviting all of these people to make this dangerous long trip and then forcing these local communities to deal with it. The mayor of Del Rio uh, and the mayor of Yuma, which is over in Arizona, which is getting hammered as well, they have at various points declared, you know, local states of emergency because. You know, a little town with, let's say, or a small city, 40,000 people, gets 10,000 illegal aliens showing up. Well, what the heck are they supposed to do with that? That's like 2 million people showing up overnight in New York City. Uh, And yet New York is complaining when they just get a few thousand. So um, you're right that the left did play this wrong. Instead of just saying, you know, we understand, we think this is a bad response but we understand and we're trying to work with blah, 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 you know, some kind of anodyne political response that wasn't contemptuous would have defused this issue and would not have caused 
the Democrats to look like fools. And yet they just couldn't help themselves. And do you think that by responding to it, Biden's made a mistake? I almost think he, he's, by responding to it, he's put the issue out there in front of people on the left who might not have heard about it otherwise. But because Biden's talking about it, they're going to be like, well, what are crazy Republicans doing? And I think for a lot of people, when they look into what the Republicans did, it doesn't seem that bad. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Rasmussen just did a poll where they found 52 percent of respondents approved of what DeSantis and Abbott were doing. And I think your point about a lot of people, even a lot of Democrats and middle of the road people don't really know what's going on at the border and with the illegal immigration because the, you know, the big Democratic media outlets aren't covering it. And this forces them to cover it. So a lot of people, I think, are going to say, wait, there's still people coming across the border and then look into that. And that's not good for the administration. They don't want people noticing what's happening on the southern border. And uh, I pointed out before, early in the show, I had done an image search. If you do an image search for Del Rio, Texas, I was on, I think, DuckDuckGo. And even on that platform, I could not find an image of 10,000 or 15,000 people. Uh, you know, you do an image search. So imagine you're a person and you're told there's a border crisis at Del Rio. And so you look into it casually. You'd think there's five people in the river. You can find that picture, but you can't find the picture. And we talked before about how have they are they they still banned drones down at the border there, Mark? Uh, I think so. And it was drones were the reason that Del Rio story is the only reason it became an issue. And the White House responded was because the Fox correspondent down there. Bill Malugan, um, he's like their border guy. He uh, and his team had uh, drones taking pictures from on top, seeing thousands of people under that bridge. And once those pictures got out, the White House panicked. Uh, and in fact, they panicked to such a degree that there's a story by one of my people. It was a front page on the New York Post yesterday that um, the administration actually pulled the plug on a Haitian election and installed a guy that they just picked because he would take Haitians to be deported. And they didn't want to take chances on there being a democratic election and having somebody who wouldn't take these Haitians to be deported. So, and you know, I'm fine. They're being deported. I'm okay with that, obviously. But this administration was so panicked, they actually um, torpedoed their own pro-democracy initiative in Haiti and installed a guy, basically a dictator, on the premise that he would take these people they were trying to deport from Del Rio in order to make the pictures go away. And, um, you know, it worked in the short run, but they haven't changed their immigration policies. So there's still people coming in every day, thousands of them. And so uh, uh, do us a favor and prognosticate a little bit. We're a couple of months away from the mid-year mid uh, year elections, forgive me, midterm elections. 
What do you right. think is going to happen between now and then, Mark? Well, what I don't know. I mean, my, in October. Yeah, yeah, my predictions plus $4 will get you a cup of coffee. So uh, take that for what it's worth. But, um, you know, between now, I mean, there's another month or so, month and a half, I guess, until the elections. All kinds of bad stuff can happen at the border. The They are now, the numbers every day are going up. And they're talking something like 8,000 a day are being uh, arrested at the border. That's, remember, Obama's DHS secretary, his name was Jay Johnson, and he's a Democrat, but he was a serious guy. He actually said, if there's a thousand arrests at the Mexican border, that's a bad day, a really bad day. There's now 8,000 a day, and this administration is trying to end this policy called Title 42 which they use to return some of the illegal immigrants, just bounce them back into Mexico. So they do do some of that, but they're trying to end it. If they end it, the DHS is worried about as many as 18,000 illegal aliens a day. I just don't see how this administer how that's sustainable. I mean, if that kind of thing happens, if some new thing blows up in the next month and a half, that's going to be politically really bad news for this administration. Well, and Mark, have you heard about anybody doing a little civil disobedience? I would argue that the drone ban, because of the nature of it, could, there's a First Amendment issue. I don't think the government can ban people from taking pictures, and the drones are variant on that. And so if someone put a drone up, they might get arrested afterwards. That's what I mean, civil disobedience. Has anyone tested the drone ban and and see what happens? Because I think someone being arrested for that would be a way to generate headlines. I'm not suggesting you could do you good on there, Mark. Don't do that. Well, I but, mean, I don't. Uh, I haven't heard. I haven't heard anybody doing that. But um, you know, it's possible. I mean, you have to be willing to you know lose your drone and get arrested. So it's like it takes a particular kind of person with resources to do something like that. But, you know, that may be. I mean, uh, I don't want to tell people to do things to get arrested. It's something, a decision you have to make on your own, obviously. But um, that might be something that gets attention. But again, civil disobedience works only if you can get attention for it. If nobody knows about it, then it's, you know, it doesn't serve its purpose. And will the media actually report Something like that? I'm skeptical. Well, the, the the mainstream media, Fox would, maybe, right? Yeah, so, well, Fox would, but, you know, the fact is much of the, I mean, the left just assumes Fox is, the you know, is evil and they won't even look at it. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, keeping garlic away from vampires sort of thing. They just won't, uh, uh, they won't look at it. So, uh, you know, it might work, but who knows? Uh, again. It's not for me to tell anybody to go get arrested. Now, how long have you been working on this issue? You personally, Mark? Uh, I took over here at the center in 1995. So that's, uh, what is that, 27 wow. years now. Okay, that's fantastic. Now, have you seen, does now seem different to you? Because I've been covering this issue for about a decade, I would say. And this seems like a different—I've never seen the Democrats so unhinged. 
And I've never seen this situation so bad. Do you think it's a unique time, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. This is much worse than it's ever been. And um, because, you know, there used to be, I mean, the Democrats were always more liberal on immigration than Republicans, but they were also, you know, in favor of uh, controls. Uh, Even if sometimes they weren't vigorous in enforcing them, you still had people like Barbara Jordan and others who were serious about immigration. That You don't have that anymore. Now, there are plenty of Democratic voters who would, you know, prefer that the border be enforced. I have no doubt about that. But if you're talking about elected officials in Washington, there literally is not one Democratic elected official in Washington, not a single one in Congress, who is committed to strict enforcement of the immigration laws. In fact, the perspective of the left now, and this is dominant in the Democratic Party, is not that these people are all going to vote Democrat. I mean, they hope for that at some point in the long term, but that's not what's driving this. Uh, The folks making immigration policy in the Biden administration do not believe that the American people have a right to keep anybody out of the United States. This is an ideological issue that limits on immigration are morally wrong. And therefore, anyone who comes to the border has to be let in, period. And I almost wish it was a cynical political thing on their part, because that's easier to fight against. This is a principle, a belief that America is bad and has no right to say no to anybody. How we get beyond that or fix that or change that, I don't know. And for years, Republicans were very bad on these issues. And you had the Gang of Eight and people like McCain and Rubio taking the same position as the Democrats. But as we've seen a series of primaries, are you aware of any candidate who would be a new candidate who takes the establishment of a Republican position? I'm seeing all candidates who take the position, you know, the Trump position on immigration. Are you, are uh, yeah, you I have not. I haven't. I'm not aware of anybody who's who's the real sort of Paul Ryan, Chamber of Commerce, you know, uh, John McCain position on immigration. In fact, Marco Rubio, whom you mentioned, was one of the people in the gang of eight, which was pushing this amnesty bill that would have increased immigration. He immediately, you know, changed his tune and is uh flip-flopped, which I guess is a good sign. It means they know that that's not a good position. And in fact, just this week, I was down at a conference in Florida, a conservative conference, and Governor DeSantis gave uh, the speech at one dinner. And he specifically said that, you know, we talked about the border crisis, it's disaster, it's terrible. But he said, look, it's not just people coming illegally over the border. Even legal immigration is too high. We can't assimilate this many people. And we need to take a breather or some some words to that effect. That's not exactly what he said, but that's what he said. But what he meant was legal immigration even is too high. And that is a new thing out of Republican politicians, quite frankly. Even Trump was always kind of ambivalent and open to the idea of high immigration if unemployment was low. But DeSantis specifically said legal immigration even is too high. So, yes, 
there's been a very much of a change in the Republican Party as well. And I think that what I was talking about with the primaries votes well for the future of the Republican Party, because, you know, I'm, you know, I think we would know if there was a Republican who's bad on immigration policy. Does that make sense? I think you'd say, well, there's one guy in where, wherever, Vermont or whatever, is, is bad. But I don't see yeah. anybody. Well, there are some people who were bad. I mean, there was the senator from North Carolina, uh, not Tillis, but the other one, um, who uh, recently was quoted saying, well, maybe we should, you know, increase immigration as part of a deal to get money for the wall, some such thing like that. So let's not, I mean, I don't want to sort of, uh, celebrate too soon uh, that the Republican Party is totally shifted. But clearly, it's better than it used to be. There's no question things are moving in the right direction. But we're going to need more people like, you know, J.D. Vance and Blake Masters and, uh, you know, uh, Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton in the Senate in particular to um, change the sort of the direction, the general direction of Republicans uh, in Congress. It's not quite there yet. It's getting there, but it's not quite there. And I will say also, I think the power and reach of the mainstream media is, you said the mainstream media won't cover it, but sites like Gateway Pundit and Breitbart and Daily Caller and Daily Wire, they're good on these issues, and they're reaching millions of people. So do you see a different media environment than... 10 years ago. Yeah, no question the media environment's changed. I mean, just generally, not even just about immigration, about everything. And that's definitely a, um, a step in the right direction. Again, it's, it's all, it's contributing to uh, the Republican Party getting better and the public, the Republican voters demanding more. Uh, for instance, the old dodge from um, a lot of Republican congressmen was to satisfy voters by talking about we need a tough wall we need more border patrol etc and then turning around and giving guest worker visas to the chamber of commerce people and their donors that's a harder thing to do nowadays so uh, all of that's true i'm just saying that it's a process not an event in other words it's moving in the right direction but we're not quite where we need to be even within the republican party yet now, I've had the idea that a winning issue, if Republicans took, took this approach, would be to go after employers who are violating, you know, the law, basically. Sure. Employers who are employing because the Democrats wouldn't know how to handle that. And I think a lot of Republicans, a lot of voters are not sympathetic, to especially big employers for hiring illegal immigrants, do you what do you th what do you think of that issue? For, uh, Republicans took that approach and cr were critical of big companies hiring illegal workers. No question, that would um, that's one of the things to do. In fact, the Democrat, I mean, the Biden administration should be doing that uh, because uh, you know, I mean, you would think you know they're fighting for the little man against the corporations and all that sort of thing. But this administration has stopped all worksite enforcement. Uh, they just don't do it anymore. And the same thing happened under Biden because they're willing to let these businesses profit as long as 
uh, illegal immigrants don't end up being identified and removed from the country. In other words, if they went after these employers, they would have to go after the illegal immigrants who were employed. And Democrats won't do that. You know, open borders is the most important value in the Democratic Party, or at least second after abortion. And um, but the Republicans should be making a much bigger deal of it. And but even there, there's obstacles. Well, Mark Corian, we're, we're out of time, unfortunately. But it's been a long slog. But I got to say, Mark, you're winning. It's taking more time than I'd like. But you are winning and making a big difference. CIS.org is the website. Thanks to Mark Gregorian and Eddie Ads. Everyone have a great weekend on The Backstory.